Hey guys, it's George. Uh, we're on a break right now, but we thought we'd come back with a short episode. We have a couple of updates, actually, in the Rebecca Gould murder case and in the West Memphis 3 case. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to come, we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we're going to update both those cases. This is Diamond State Murder Board. Welcome back. I'm George Jarrett. I'm your host, and I'm in studio today with Andrew Brown. And in a short minute, we're going to have a special guest, Lauren Seibert. She's a journalist and an entrepreneur who works over in the Sharp County area. And today, uh, the first half of our episode today, we're going to talk about the Rebecca Gould murder case. Uh, as all of you, I'm sure many of you know, uh, Rebecca Gould was murdered on on or about September 20th, uh, 2004 in Melbourne, Arkansas. We have profiled her case extensively on this program. Now, if anybody doesn't know about the Rebecca Gould murder case, we suggest you go back and listen to the four or so episodes that we've done on this case in the past. A, a gentleman by the name of William Miller was arrested on September, or, uh, excuse me, November seventh, two thousand and twenty, and he actually had a hearing um, uh, f- a couple of days ago um, in uh, Izard County. So Lauren was actually there, um, and so Lauren, welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and and talk to you guys about this case. It's you know it's been going on for far 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 too long and we're finally getting close to a possible resolution. Excellent. So Lauren, let's uh, just for, just for a little bit of uh, background here, uh, you've written about this case probably, would you say for five years at least? Yeah, I would. Um, I would say that that's accurate. Uh, You know, there were, uh, I believe AK Barnes and yourself were some of the first folks to, uh, to spark the reinterest and people here in our community never forgot. They just didn't know what to do. But, uh, but yeah, I would say that's, that's probably pretty accurate. Excellent. And so you decided to head down to the courthouse earlier this week. Uh, he was going to have a pretrial hearing. What was the atmosphere like outside of the courtroom? I'll be honest with you. It was, it was really bizarre. They uh, they held it at the sheriff's department in the small courtroom there, but outside prior to there was minimal media coverage. Myself and Kim Brake with Area Wide Media were there, and then there were two ladies from Mountain View that are part of a Facebook group that were there, and that was it uh, for this specific case. Of course. The remainder of folks outside, they were just there for regular court, and they put Miller's case first that morning. I think the two ladies from Mountain View are talking about were Diane and Karen, and they're both real good friends of ours. Uh, yes. And they actually were giving me some updates as the time was going on. In fact, gave me an update from you because you had to turn your phone off. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was something that I'm not used to. Um, all the courts that I've covered in the past, you can have your phone, just no photos, whatever. But this was not the case for Izzard County. It was uh, an officer came out with message from the judge that said either write it down or remember it. Gotcha. Oh, wow. 
So you get into the courtroom, and then at 930, uh, William Miller walks in. What did he look like? Uh, he came in. He had, uh, you know, the wrist and leg shackles with the chain that, that goes between. He had a face mask on, as as all of us did, but it's really kind of bizarre. Um, he didn't really give off the vibe that, like, ooh, I'm in trouble. I'm going for, before the judge. It was more like... Uh, Hey, I'm out of my cell. And it was, I mean, just his demeanor was kind of like somebody standing there looking at a menu, trying to figure out what they want to order from Starbucks. It, uh, he didn't really have any remorse reaction. I mean, it was like, okay, I'm here now. What? It was weird. I mean, to me anyway, cause I have been, I've covered, you know, I covered, uh, Rebecca O'Donnell with Linda Collins murder trial. I covered uh, the Stovall case and that's not how they presented themselves. So this one was a little out of character for me and, and what I've witnessed in the past. Gotcha. And I know you don't know specifically who the Gould family members were who actually attended the um, hearing. I heard that Danielle Gould, uh, Rebecca's younger sister, who's been very outspoken in the past, did not attend, that she wasn't able to go. Also, Dr. Larry Gould, who is uh, Rebecca's father, um, he was actually out of state, so he was not able to attend as well. I heard that her sister Tiffany uh, did attend, and there were some other people there. Were there any visible reactions from that group as they came in? Yes. Uh, yeah, they were actually the court personnel, much like in any case like this, they went outside and escorted them in. And um, each, uh, the majority of them, they were wearing a pin on their shirt that had a, a photo of Rebecca, the, the most familiar photo that we've all seen with a purple ribbon underneath. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of looked defeated and frustrated like how much longer do we have to go through this is my personal i mean i know as a journalist i'm supposed to be objective but also as a journalist i see what i see and and that's how it looked it was like how much longer do we have to keep doing this until we get justice absolutely and so lauren tell us what exactly happened in the courtroom what were the decisions that were rendered by the judge um so to me, that part was kind of strange. Um, the the prosecution started out and, uh, you know, Hans was talking about uh, there had only to this point been two motions filed and they were for discovery by both sides. And those were the only motions. But then the discussion kind of rolled into um, – are we going to like, are we going to see any pushback? Are they going to try to uh, go with a, a mental illness defense? I'm, I'm not using the correct terms right now, but, but as the conversation, as the discussion rolled on, it was, it was almost like the judge is telling the defense, you have had this client long enough to know whether or not you're going to go for, he can't, face a jury because he's nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually the defense was like, well, you know, we have been looking into his mental health history and we're probably going to do that. We've only found one place that has record and none of them were for the relevant time period. That's their words, not mine. Um, and then the judge basically was like, all right, look, uh, in a situation like this, we are all very much aware of the fact that 
asking for a mental eval or some of these other things stops the trial in its tracks. And this is drug on long enough, um, especially after it was asked by the defense that it be moved to next year mm-hmm. rather than this year in August when it was supposed to be. So just so we're clear, the judge eventually, after talking to both uh, the prosecution and the defense attorneys, the judge did order that the trial will be moved to February of next year, February 16th through 18th, and then pre-trial, all those types of things will happen in November of this year, almost to the day that he, <clears throat> that William Miller was arrested. Um, yeah, yeah. As far as reaction to that, um, and go ahead and plug your media company real quick, Lauren, please. Oh, uh, I am the the owner of Hallmark Times. Um, It's an online publication. Uh, I cover, I've been in news for over 10 years. I've always been in print media, but I made the change in January of this year. And uh, so hallmarktimes.com, I cover news in predominantly Sharp and Izzard County. Occasionally, I'll I'll go cover something like the ACMAs or something like that. But uh, that's that's the territory that I'm covering. Excellent. So, and did you get any uh, response when you when your story published earlier this week about this? Yes, actually, I did. Um, it was for for the week. Each week, I I checked my numbers, and it was one of the one of the higher ranking stories. And I mean, obviously, this is something that people care about. Uh, people cared enough about what happened to Rebecca to to put up over fifty thousand dollars just to bring somebody to justice. You know, the right somebody. Yeah, and I actually, personally, know the person who was putting the money up. So, yeah. Uh, and I think that every person deserves justice. And I had a conversation with, uh, the ladies that we mentioned earlier out in the parking lot. They said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And I said, well, after hearing that the defense has hired a private investigator, should it come down to, this isn't really our guy, um, whoever the guy or guys or girls or, or gal is that is responsible, if it isn't Miller who I would have a hard time believing that since he already confessed and it's on paper. Um, I mean, they need to be brought to justice. You can't just kill somebody and go on about your life. Like nothing happened. That's unacceptable. Absolutely. Very interesting details, Lauren. She is Lauren Seibert. She is the owner of the HallmarkTimes.com. It is an online media company. Check her out especially if you live in the Sharp or Izzard County areas. Lauren, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much, George. Hey, guys, I know we're late in the summer, but if you need a book to read, I've got my latest book is out, A Novel Wait. I will actually be doing a book signing on August 7th at the Ash Flat Library from 10 to noon. Again, I will be signing books, A Novel Wait, from 10 to 12 to noon at the Ashflat Library. I also have copies of my other books, Whispers in the Willows, The Creekside Bones, and Witches in West Memphis. If you're looking for an inexpensive uh, gift idea, come by, buy some books, uh, support our local library system, and thank you very much. Welcome back. want to thank Lauren again from HallmarkTimes.com for giving us an update on the Rebecca Gould case. Now we're going to switch gears and talk about West Memphis 3. As many of you know, I've covered West Memphis 3 for many years. 
I wrote over 100 stories about it as a journalist, and I also wrote a book, which is in West Memphis, about the case. And I also uh, consulted on a bunch of documentaries and other things. So uh, this case has been near and dear to my heart for many years, and now we actually do have some updates to talk about. So uh, about, uh, let's see, I think it was April, Andrew, I was at the Kiwanis Club meeting here in Jonesboro, and Keith Cressman, the new prosecutor, uh, was in town, mm-hmm. and he was going to uh, speak to the Kiwanis Club, and him and I engaged in a conversation. And so what at that time what happened was Damien Eccles' defense team was asking that some new DNA stuff, or some new DNA testing be done on some of the items that they collected during the uh, 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 criminal uh, trial back in uh, 1994. And so Cressman was, uh, I asked him about it and he said, you know, um, you know, they're going to have to get a judge's order to, to facilitate that. And so let's backtrack just for a second to kind of understand what the Eccles defense team was trying to do. In early 2020, investigative journalist Bob Ruff was producing a new documentary show re-examining the West Memphis Three case. Ruff thought it would be a productive idea in that regard to use new DNA testing technology called MVAC to search for and test DNA that might remain on certain items of the state's evidence in the case. Accordingly, Ruff asked the West Memphis Three if they would agree to such testing, and they did. When he asked Ellington, however, uh, Scott Ellington being the former prosecutor who is now a judge, uh, he decided that he did not want to do that. As a result, Ruff show ultimately aired in late 2020 without the new DNA testing, but with plenty of questions being asked by viewers about why Ellington would not return Ruff's calls asking about testing. Now, I think later on, I think that, uh, and I haven't talked to Scott about this, I think that he got, he became more amenable to possibly doing the testing, but then he got elected judge. And so he was no longer the prosecutor, and that's when Keith uh, Cressman was brought in. And uh, he was a, actually, it was a, a, a governor's appointment. And I'll say at this point, if there's anybody listening to this right now who's not familiar with the West Memphis Three case or not familiar with our coverage of it, they should go back and listen to our previous episodes about it. I think that uh, would be the best course of action at that point. Or you can read my book about it. Um, so on April 1st, uh, Keith Cressman sent Damien Eccles defense counsel this response when they asked for this testing. I confirmed with my predecessor your discussion. Based on his description, it sounds like your client wants to use the MVAC wet vacuum-based collection method analysis. Regardless of whether this will yield valuable evidence, releasing material isn't my decision. The property is seized. It doesn't belong to my office, so I need to petition the court asking for permission and giving the state an opportunity to be heard. But in anticipation of your client's motion, I have asked the West Memphis Police Department to catalog what remaining evidence there is. So fast forward a couple weeks later, I was talking to Keith, and he said, you know, they would have to get a judge's order in order to get this um, this evidence tested, possibly. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, a story came out in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette that um, that much of the evidence, I guess when they went through this cataloging process at the West Memphis Police Department, when they went through this cataloging process, a lot of the evidence had either been lost or destroyed already. And now when I talked to the prosecutor in April, I, I was curious. I said, well, um, because he also made a comment to me that he, w- he might just ask a judge to destroy the evidence. And because of the um, agreement that was reached in the case, the conviction is actually considered a second-degree murder conviction. And in cases like that, they don't keep retain or keep the evidence. So it wouldn't have been uncommon to have that evidence destroyed or 
you know, I mean, that would be a common thing. So uh, his position was, you know, that, hey, you know, if if it comes down to it, we'll just destroy this evidence because that's common procedure. Uh, I think in this case may not be the best thing to do just for the simple fact that it's so famous, you know. Famous and still very cold. Like Yeah. I mean, and with a lot of questions, I don't I, I don't think there's very few people that are set uh, few. I don't think anyone's satisfied yeah. with how this case concluded. So it's interesting that all this stuff is missing or destroyed now with even out of Why would it order. move? Like why how would you lose it? Like how, where would it move to? How how would evidence move if it stayed in West Memphis? Uh, I, the stories I heard was that there was a fire potentially, or that there had been a flood or some, some, like some event happened to the building years ago Mm -hmm. and some of this evidence was lost. You know, it's still just so hard to, to wrap my mind around the fact that any of this evidence could be lost considering the guys were released in 2011, but they were involved in a very public international appeals process that went on for years and years and years leading up to their release on August 19th, 2011. So it's just really, really hard to think that they had lost. Oh, for sure. All this evidence. So, um, great reporting by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, by the way. Um, and, uh, so we're going to stay on top of this. Hopefully some of this evidence will hopefully percolate to the surface. Maybe I, I just don't understand why we just don't want to find the absolute right answer in this case, because here's the thing. Um, and it goes back to the original DNA testing in this case, all three defendants, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, Jesse, Miss Kelly Jr. Begged and begged and begged and begged and begged for this DNA testing in the beginning. Well, if they'd committed the crime, why are they begging them to test it? Isn't there a possibility that their DNA will be discovered? Now they're begging for this advanced DNA testing technique and once again, uh, I guess the state just doesn't want to do it. And who, why? Uh, that's the only question I've got is, and you know, and I'm not, I have nothing, I'm not saying anything against Keith Cressman at all because he, obviously, if this stuff is missing and destroyed, he had nothing to do with it. He's been yeah. a prosecutor for what, you know, a couple of months. Um, and even um, Scott Ellington, you can't blame him either because um, obviously they didn't even know that this stuff was missing or destroyed until now. And if it truly was missing and destroyed from 15 years ago, that was obviously that predates him as the prosecutor. So, and and he does, and and here's the thing: the prosecutor doesn't have custody of the evidence anyway. So, I think the ire um, there should be whoever. If people are going to get upset about it, it probably needs to be whoever is the custodian of this evidence and those records. That would probably be my take on it. But there'd be no reason that anybody in an official status would be wanting to destroy the evidence, right? It would be, or is it, or would it just be, if it's destroyed, it's because of procedure or not for like, right. It could very well be a fire or yeah. So we'll stay on top of it. If there's any other developments, we'll let you guys know. Uh, Again, we're, we're still on a break, but we're already recording new episodes and getting ready for season two of diamond state murder board. Uh, We were excited to bring you an update on these two cases. And obviously, if we have any other updated information on anything we cover, we will come back and let you guys know. I'm George. I'm Andrew. And this is Diamond State Murder Board. Diamond State Murder Board, written and hosted by George Jared, co-hosted and produced by Andrew Brown. Music by Rush Pate. Voiceover work done by me, Jessica Parker. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Diamond State MB. Download us wherever you get your podcasts.